What if every day you had the chance to experience more love and intimacy in your life? We're going to be sharing stories of struggles and triumphs in love, sex, and relationships, along with expert advice to create more conscious connections. Enjoy this podcast with Dawn Richard. Wake up to real love. Hi, everyone. This is Dawn Richard, also known as The Awakening with Dawn. And this is the Wake Up to Real Love podcast, where we share stories of struggles and triumphs in love, sex, and relationships, along with expert advice to create more conscious connections. I'm so honored and excited today to introduce my new clubhouse friend and colleague, Steve Oscard. Hi, Steve. Hi, Dawn. Great <laughs> to be here. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. I'm so excited we met probably a year ago in whatever room. And I just thought yeah. this is one wise man. So oh, thank you. Yeah. So Steve is a somatic sex educator and embodied counselor. He works with individuals and couples of all genders and sexual orientations. And he has so much wisdom and insight and perspective. Um, I'm so glad we're going to have an amazing conversation. Welcome, Steve. Thank you. Thank you. I've never I've never been honored so well and say I have so much wisdom. I think it's borrowed from many, many masters over the history of my life, maybe and beyond. Probably. Probably. Yeah. I say that whatever we say often is not really our own. It just kind of comes through us, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like hopefully my voice is is able to be listened to by some that nobody else can hear the same message from someone else. So hopefully I can contribute. And I usually like to try to when I learn something, I want to give it away. Right. You know, I think when I have some personal insight or growth, it's like, wow, I want to share this because it's allowed me to grow and learn and then see some things about myself and enjoy life more. Well, that's because you have a big heart, Steve. And I know that, which is why we <laughs> resonate, which is why we resonate. Yeah, <laughs> okay. So I usually ask a little icebreaker question, totally okay. off topic because we're love, sex and relationships, but you just told me that you're a comedian. And I want I want to know. This is a crazy journey. Like, were you always the funny kid? Tell me about tell me about your experience. Were you like the class clown or what? I wasn't the class clown, but I always had. I was the one that told the joke after the class clown told a joke. <laughs> so they would get all attention, and then I kind of slip in with something clever, and everybody else would laugh again a second time. So. <laughs> Yeah, it was funny. You know, it's like I'd, I'd be observing and watching for a more, you know, subtle or specific joke to just drop in there. Uh-huh. So I think that was more my style. And then I actually did some more acting and, and uh, comedy and throughout high school. Um, and then, as I shared with you, I did stand up comedy for, for several years. And so it brought me out to California. I live in Los Angeles now. That seems like so much pressure to, to, I mean, I'm a dancer, so I'm used to performing, but yeah. I'm not expecting any kind of response from the audience, but you're constantly expecting a response, hoping to get yeah. a response. So how did you deal with that? You know, was, the onstage part was actually, um, I wouldn't say it was easy, but it was like a craft. So I found myself being on stage and being able to kind of attune myself and try different things and experiment. And I think most comedians really get to that point. Uh, you know, of, of of course, at the beginning, you really want to be funny. You want to be the funniest right. one. Right. But then it starts to get really interesting as you develop your own style. Um, and you start to get really curious about what is funny and what do people find funny? And then uh, 
that was really enjoyable for me. Even when nights weren't like, you know, really great, I'd come off stage, not with my head held up low, more like, hmm, what was not funny? What didn't work? Or uh, what do I need to switch or change or in the writing or the delivery? Um, So I put my attention there. But what I really sucked at was schmoozing. I was so (laughs) bad at, you know, I was 20 years old. I'd moved to California as a kid. Uh-huh. And talking up the club owners, and you know, so I was never really good at that. Which, uh, as I should like unbutton your shirt, hey baby, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> well, not schmoozing in that way, but you know, like really, it was like a voice voice club. You know, you got a little, uh-huh. hey, put me on on stage. You give me some more. You know, getting booked was really marketing myself, which was something I was not not really strong at. And like I shared with you. Uh, after a while, I wanted to find something to do other than wait tables while I was working on right. my craft. And and that's where my career took a, a turn, really, into transformational work. And, and um, originally, I started as a, as a body worker, massage. And yeah. you'll see, my work is somatic. So I do have a massage table behind me. So I still now integrate counseling work with embodied work so that people can experience how they hold their life story in their bodies. So some of the work that I do is no different from what a counselor or therapist would do, but other work is kind of integrating movement and touch and breath work to see how there's that touch point, that integration of the experience of one's life story and how it's limiting and how they hold that in their bodies. And that to me has always been fascinating. Okay. So I, Two questions. One, what do you find funny? What do okay. you find funny? What do you find funny? And then the second thing is because of the way that you were talking about your process of after the show, it's like, then that makes total sense of you doing this work now. Yeah. But go ahead. What do you find funny? What do I find funny? Let's see. Hmm. I like something. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm more of a clever funny is what I prefer. Although, funny, oddly enough, funnily enough, I used to like slapsticky kind of stuff when I was younger. Uh-huh. You know, like I would watch movies that were more slapstick, ha-ha, pratfalls and things. But as I got a little bit older, I started to really enjoy clever, clever things, you know, um, things that make you think. But, the, oh, you, you know, you laugh, you go, oh, that's funny. More so than the belly laughs. Right. Like um, smart wisdom. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think I for sure, what I love most about humor is when we can laugh at ourselves and see what mm-hmm. we're taking, taking mm-hmm. things way too seriously, and, and particularly when we're suffering over those things. Yeah. And that really is kind of how I've continued to be funny, so to speak, in my work with clients, is to just have a laugh, you know, have a laugh at ourselves and see, oh, my gosh, we're so funny human beings, we keep doing these things that have suffering and we see ourselves doing them but we keep doing them and expecting different results yeah uh-huh. yeah uh-huh so how what is did- that what is that quote uh insanity insanity is thing over and over oh again yeah and expecting a different outcome but that's also hilarious i'm totally guilty of it aren't you <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> and i remember some counseling session that i was observing uh, i was watching i was taking a seminar in this therapist was was doing some coaching with a couple and uh, the the guy said oh, i really should stop doing that and she said no and everybody was like what you're gonna keep doing that until you're done doing that you know until you learn that le- whatever lesson there is for you and i was like oh yeah 
Like how is that thing serving you? Yeah. And I think a lot of times coaches and counselors or therapists are trying to get someone somewhere. And I catch myself doing this too. It's like, oh, they, you know, like, can I hold someone in their suffering and just be with them there? Because it'll move. They'll move. They clearly don't want to be in that space. But if I keep throwing them solutions and trying to, you know, fix them and help them and it's, it's somewhat robbing them of the experience of their own healing. Well, don't you, um, I, I feel like there's so many can in our education system and life in general, there are these canned responses or these, these, um, goal oriented ways of get, of, of how to get from point A to point B. When yeah. that's not how any of us operate. That's not how life is. You know, it's so funny because I, when I look at the model of business consultants, there's a consultant and advisor who can get you from point A to point B because they've traveled that route before and they can give you a formula. Right. And the odds, the percentage of it being successful is really high. But if you're an innovator in business, you don't want to follow somebody else's path. You're going to get to where they've gone or what you can only succeed to the level of which they can take you. But if you're an innovator, you want a different kind of coach. You want a different kind of guide and a guide that's going to point you back to you. Mm -hmm. And when I think of therapy or counseling or sex therapy or any kind of coaching that's pointing you back to you, that's how I like to learn. That's how I like to grow. And I'm not dismissing the kind of coaches or counselors that give you a formula because some people, they just want to be out of pain. Like here's the steps, one, two, three, four, five. It's like, that's not really how life works. It, absolutely. That's, that's what I believe. And then, like I just said, some people, they just want to get out of pain. So getting a bit of a formula is helpful. Uh-huh. So, and there's sometimes when I'm working with people who are dealing with something very specific, like you mentioned, I'm a somatic sex educator. I work with a lot of people who are dealing with painful sex difficulty with sex, difficulty in getting aroused, um, both male body people, female body people who, who experience their own issues with their own bodies. And some of them, they just want some solutions. So I will let people know, okay, well, we can do some work in problem solving over here, but that's not where the real growth is going to come. That's going to be over here with you asking more questions. Um, so which do you want to focus on today or which do you want to focus on first? Mm-hmm. Uh, how can I support you? Because there are definitely some things that we could look at that might help you get a little confidence or get a little strength or get a little facility around something. But if you want to do the real work, that's over here where you might complete a session and be more frustrated, more challenged by what we did. Or I might send you off with a couple of exercises you could experiment with and you have no idea how it's going to go. Right. Well, so, there there are no guaranteed results. I mean, even if yeah. you say, "I can I can provide some relief for you," or "I can give you some tools that will provide some relief for you," but unless you do the process and you take responsibility for the work, then you will never. I mean, you just hold yourself back. In a way. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know, as I shared with you once before, like each of us, we have to find our own way. Yeah. You know, and sometimes sometimes that's a very tender place. You know, I've experienced that recently myself where somebody made some uh, suggestion and I felt like, you know, you're interfering with my process. (laughs) You know, I need to I need to make some mistakes here. 
And I think I need to fall down a little bit, maybe embarrass myself. Mm-hmm. Not that I want to. Right. But there was something that I realized that I was missing in the ability to express myself and, and find some new experience of confidence. And I was like, oh, okay, well, and then someone kind of interfered in a little bit. And, then, you know, they met well, but it was uh, really challenging to navigate both that as well as what I was dealing with. How did your te- how did your parents teach you how to problem solve? <laughs> it's funny because a lot of what I just just shared came up. My my relationship with my mother came up around this. Is my mother never missed an opportunity to give me her input. <laughs> she was very vocal and happy to insert herself into my issues, and and her strength was not in really listening. Her strength mm-hmm. was not in being a cheerleader. And saying, go out there, give it your best shot. And I'm here if you fall down and skin your knees. You know, I'm here if you embarrass yourself. And uh, that was not her strength. And um, I see that, that, you know, in my adult life, here I am in my 50s. And I'm still, I still feel that as a missing. Mm -hmm. I still feel that as like, hey, what would it be like to have a cheerleader? What would it be like to, to have someone that believed in me in the places where I doubt myself. In fact, yeah. I've described I've described my experience of my mother as an echo chamber of my own doubt. <laughs> I think probably many parents are that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because I've seen other parents in their relationship with their children and I and I've worked with a lot of parents and, and families mm-hmm. where the parent is a total cheerleader. And it's fascinating to me. It's foreign to me to watch that and see how the children flourish. And I'm not saying that's the right way, but I could see for, sh- for sure for myself that was a missing. Well, I think, I think as a parent, because you don't have kids. Do you, do you have I don't, kids? No. Yeah. yeah. So as a parent, you want to be a guide and a mentor for them and, and share your experience of maybe what helped you get through X, Y, Z. And so that's mm-hmm. where that sort of, mothering parenting instinct comes from like yeah. i don't want you to make the same mistakes i made right. um, but then there's also like well you have to learn to get pick yourself up after you fall down and everybody falls down so yeah. how do you how do you do that not only um it's really like learning to do it for yourself like how do i teach myself yeah to freaking get back up yeah yeah. I think parenting is one of the biggest challenges that anyone could take on. Hardest job in the world. What's that? Hardest job in the world yeah. for sure. I, yeah, heroic. I mean, it's really you, you mm. are you are raising another being and empowering them to be in the world. Mm-hmm. And um amidst uh in a world that you haven't lived in until right now. Right. You know, you lived in a world 10, 20, 30 years ago, your child is coming up in this world right now. You actually don't know what they're experiencing. I have no idea. You could just guess because you're, you're living in share. this world right now too. Right, right. Except for what they share. And they're always like, yeah, mom, we don't want to talk to you about that. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, of course, you know, as the therapist, I ask questions. And then when their friends are around, they want to talk to me about stuff that they can't talk to their parents about. 
And then they're like, okay, they can't talk to their parents about this stuff. And I don't want to talk to you about this stuff either. I'd rather go, you know, so it's, it's interest. It's an interesting process and journey, but when you were, I I wanted to know, and and I'm still kind of fascinated by this. It's like, Mm -hmm. okay, you were a comedian, you were um, very, you know, expressive and observant and all of this stuff. So what brought you into the body? What Mm -hmm. brought you into the body? Did you have body issues when you were growing up? And actually, I didn't have body issues. I actually was fascinated by the body long before I ever became a comedian. I started really young doing martial arts. Uh To me, it was a sport initially, you know, just like anyone else is playing soccer or baseball. Right. It was cool. It was fascinating. But then it became something deeper. And I think for many people who explore the Eastern philosophy of martial arts or healing or yoga or the different philosophies of turning in and getting to know one's body, there's an evolution. And for me, there certainly was. It became more than just a sport. It was something that I was really fascinated by. And it, it introduced me to um, Eastern philosophy and Zen and Buddhism, and it became fascinating to me. It actually took me down this pathway that, uh, you know, as a teenager, I was a seeker. I was seeking yeah. the deeper answers of life. Right. And um, so I was very physically active. And then uh, as I was uh, pursuing this career as a performer and entertainer and comedian, I wanted to find something to do other than wait tables. So I actually went to massage school mm-hmm. and studied Chinese medicine and shiatsu, which is a form of Japanese massage that was founded in Chinese medical theory. So the theory of energy and how that different acupressure points uh, are symbolic of things, as well as how they have different effects on other areas of the body. And it really became fascinating. What is, the, what is this interplay between our emotional experience our spiritual experience and our physical physical experience. So it started, you know, more than 30 years ago when I was beginning to do touch-based work. It wasn't just about, oh, my shoulder hurts, fix my shoulder. Right. Learn techniques to kind of massage someone's shoulder. It became much more than that. It became this evolution. And in fact, what really fascinated me was when someone didn't get better. You know, I did all the techniques that should have predictably ended up in, okay, four sessions are feeling better. Right. Or, you know, over this predictable period of time, their body's going to heal itself and the body work is going to support that process. I, lo- I actually became more interested when it didn't resolve itself in a predictable way, because then I would start asking questions about, you know, what is the symbolic of, mm-hmm. you know, if this isn't purely physical, what might this be connected to in your life? What does this remind you of? What are the sensations that you're feeling? bring out in your emotional sense or or your memories. And it began a dialogue with clients that was so fascinating that that really took me in, okay, now I want to do some deeper work and studies in the realm of psychotherapy or or, um, spirituality or somatics, actually, which is a word that's emerged, you know, in the last five years. They didn't really use it. It was been around a long time. But somatic practices and somatic therapy somatics means of the body and to me it's that interplay between our emotional experience and our cognitive functions and that touch base that felt based experience of our bodies where does that where does that intersect 
So I'm always inviting people to tune in. So if I'm doing a session with people and they're talking about something like their relationship with their father or something from their past, I might invite them and by saying, what do you notice in your body when you talk about that? Mm. I'll invite them to look and see. And then I'll, I'll invite them to, to look a little further. And I say, oh, well, I notice I'm anxious. Well, mm-hmm. anxious is still more of an emotion. So right. well, what do you feel at the level of sensation? Oh, well, my chest is tight. You know, I notice I'm slumped forward. Or I might ask more questions that guide them into their body and invite them maybe to move. Sometimes I'll just say, what would it be like if you just rocked your body back and forth? Or is there some way your body wants to move? Don't you feel like a lot of us disconnect from our bodies? Oh, gosh, yeah. I think myself as well. We all do. Because? Um, it's easier to actually keep things in a, in a cerebral sense of things, a cognitive sense, than to actually feel them. I think we have a lot of fear around um, being tender or being, being soft or vulnerable. And I think that um, going there, so to speak, um, is scary for people. Mm-hmm. Because... You know, something very vulnerable. Go ahead. There's something very vulnerable about it. And I think in some ways at the bottom of all of it is some existential crisis. Like I'm going to die. Yeah. No, not up here. Right. I felt sense like this is, you know, in the studies that they've talked about with the nervous system that we're learning more and more about is our felt sense or somatic sense doesn't know the difference between a lion charging. Real and yeah. Yeah. You know, that's danger. I might die. And you saying something that hurts my feelings. You know, you say, I don't like you. I don't want to spend time with you anymore or whatever. Up here, I know the difference. You know, my feelings might be hurt. I might feel sad. But our bodies don't process that the same way. Somatically, there might be that underlying sense that I'm going to die. And I think we have practiced avoiding that sense of, you know, if you say, I don't like you and my feelings get hurt, I can dismiss that. Oh, okay. That's, you know, I just, I'm not going to be Don's friend. Oh, well. But really, if I allow it to really penetrate to, oh, a sense of loss, that actually is sad for me. Yeah. That actually is more vulnerable. And I think there are touch points throughout our day that we just kind of find a way to sweep under the rug. We don't let ourselves grieve. We don't let ourselves feel loss and sadness and disappointment. Rejection. Yeah. Loneliness. Yeah. Feelings of being abandoned. And I actually think our beauty is in our softness more than our celebratory moments. (laughs) Everybody wants to see how exciting it is when someone celebrates a a triumph of some sort, emotionally, physically, in sports. You know, those are the heroic heroic moments that we see on TV. Right. That's why we love watching sports and the Olympics. It's like these are heroic moments. But I'll tell you what, you know, is really powerful is when when we touch those soft spots, you know, when someone is moved to tears by something. Mm. And I think that we find a way to kind of bypass that. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, you know, we're going along, let's, let's veer away from that. It's the, the body keeps the score. Yeah. The body yeah. keeps the score. And I, I do feel like we're conditioned out of our emotions. You know, it's like when you're a baby, babies express, right? Babies use yeah. their bodies and they express loud and clear. So you know what's yeah. going on with a little baby or a small toddler. Um, but then there are these 
social parameters of don't behave that way. <laughs> it's not cool to lay on the floor and kick and scream. And so then you they say, okay, well, then I can't express what's going on in my body because nobody's really taught a healthy and constructive way to express it. Yeah. And what do we do when babies cry? We try to get them to stop crying. <laughs> well, we, we try to get them to stop crying, but we soothe them. That's for sure. them. And so how yes. do we learn to soothe ourselves through these painful emotions? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like a lot of that is the work because we're not taught to self-regulate. Yeah. We're, we're taught to suppress, squelch it down, pretend, hide. Yeah. And we do it very much on our own. We do we it retreat. on our own. Uh-huh. We retreat to yep. solitude rather than relying on dear friends, family members, community. Like, when I don't want to show you my vulnerability. You might, you know, have more reason to leave me or something like that. Exactly. So, you know, I think one of the smartest things to do when we are in a tender place is to find people to talk to and connect with. Someone safe. Yeah. Uh-huh. Which is why our field is so needed. You know, it's like if I don't feel safe with the people right around me, I need some kind of safe port. You know, and and you know, I think what we're probably trained to do more than anything else is just receive people, not just listen, but way beyond listening. Oh yeah. It's bearing witness to their experience. Yeah. Witness. I love that word. Mm-hmm. And I and I feel like because we disconnect, we we dis we disconnect from being our own witness, mm. right? Yeah, I, you, you mentioned that, and I something I haven't shared much with you that I do share pretty uh, publicly. I'm not ashamed of it, but I, I actually have explored the psychedelic work that's emerging. Uh-huh. Now it's been around for a long, long time, and I tell you, growing up, I never did anything. You know, I never drank, I never smoked pot, and that was rampant in the 70s just go to the extreme steve exactly so i never did any of that but here i was in my 50s reading more and more and more about psychedelics and the Uh therapeutic use of it and i decided okay and then finally one friend of mine said oh it's like eight years of therapy in one night i'm like okay sign me up um so i was fascinated by it and i and i decided i was going to have the experience and what you just said is probably the most profound piece that i've gotten out of experiencing psycho psychedelics in a therapeutic context or ceremonial experience Uh is bearing witness to myself. Mm. So I'm not just seeing myself through these eyes and ears. I'm actually see myself as an observer, Uh which I think is a big piece of doing counseling work with, with a great therapist, but it actually was very useful for me to have access to that through through psychedelics, and uh, I know we didn't plan to talk about this, but it has been something that <laughs> That's you know, good. not only you know, if being a sex therapist wasn't controversial enough, now <laughs> now I've had to add something else. In. <laughs> and psychedelic integration is a huge part of the field that is so critical, and I'm, I've been training to facilitate psychedelic integration uh-huh. for people who can integrate the learning from from an experience. Uh, after experiences. Okay. So in your experience, being the witness to your own self, what did you learn from that? What did you learn about yourself? Um, 
Okay. You got an hour? <laughs> yeah. <hours>? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is, you know, this is the beauty of these conversations. Yeah. Like, and, and I forgot to say before we started, I always say, dear God, creator, source of, you know, or the universe, wh- mm-hmm. whatever is, let us speak about what people most need to hear. And yeah. so if this is where it goes, this is where it goes. Yeah. And really, I think that it's a very personal choice and there's tremendous controversy, but there's also tremendous research being done with the use of psychedelics for people who want to uh, address specific things. And for sure, a lot of, a lot of the work is being focused on people suffering from PTSD, Mm -hmm. um, depression. Um, But there are people using it for growth uh, work, which is, which is parallel. It's not saying that Either or. Yeah, it's not either or. Right. Um, I'd say, so first of all, being able to be an observer of myself is is back to having a sense of humor. (laughs) You know, for sure. It's like, oh my God, you are just being so significant about this, whatever it was. And and part of of doing an experience is actually having some sort of intention, like Uh bringing something into the experience. And then in the experience or, or thereafter, seeing... Wow, you are just taking yourself and life too serious, you mm-hmm. know, and, and having a more <laughs> macro view of life, um, that all is well. Mm. You know, this is actually unfolding as exactly as it should be. Mm. And as much as I don't want to hurt, as much as I don't want to experience this, how quickly can I move from ouch to, hmm, what's the learning here? You know, and that has probably been another piece of the most profound learning I've had is how quickly I can move from the struggle and the suffering and the whatever it is I happen to be dealing with in my life or my relationships to see, oh, 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 wait, this is learning. This is perfectly designed for my learning. In fact, maybe I'm even the one who designed it. Maybe Mm -hmm. I set all the wheels in motion so I can Mm -hmm. have this experience right here. With these, with, I was the casting director, and I hired these actors to play these roles in my life. Mm. And I designed and scripted it. I'm not in somebody else's story. Whether you think God wrote the story and you're just living it out as a character. No, no, I actually am the author and creator of this experience called Steve's Life. But I don't want to take responsibility for the pain. Of course I do. not. It's like, I don't say, you know, and especially when you're talking about severe trauma, it's like, I did not create that. You yeah. know, I was a victim of whomever's, um, but, you know, we can go into the whole Buddhist philo- philosophical, it's like, you know, do we have soul contracts? Did we agree to, you know, to be the this part in this journey? And so what do you think? What do you think are the um, are the ultimate like lessons? I mean, you said okay, don't take yourself so seriously. But what do you? No. I mean, there has to be something. I don't know, more philosophical, or or I don't know, maybe not, maybe just maybe, like I don't know, maybe maybe <laughs> not. There are moments when I'm like, aha. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The heavens part, it's like ah. <laughs> Aren't I great for having this insight? Aren't I transformed? And I'm going to be a guru. Just I'm just going to put, find the right hat and the right colored robe. And oh, <laughs> and then a minute later, I'm like, oh, fuck life. <laughs> this sucks. 
why didn't I get the raise? Or why didn't, you know, this person like me? You know, it's like, you know, if life would only be better if I could afford a new car, you know, uh-huh. a nicer home. It's like, you know, moment to moment. Well, that's, I think that's part of the struggle. It's like when you're in the mist, I know even in my marital mess, I was like, when I was in the midst of this, I was yeah. not saying, oh, what am I here to learn? I was like, yeah, right. I'm so broken hearted. Uh, and know? he did it to me. And he did it to me. Like, well, I did not sign up for this, but yes. I married him. So I guess I did sign up for this. Yeah. What if we signed up for all of it? Oh, my God. I know. What if we what if we actually designed every beat? We sat down before we were born. We sat down with God and scripted out this life. And God was like, hmm, ooh, that's a juicy one. What other lessons do you want to learn? And we're like, hmm, okay, let me go back to it. And then we came back with a revised version of the script. And God was like, ooh, okay, well, you want to learn about love? You might need some little, a little suffering in there in order to really learn about love. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then we write some more. We bring back the revised copy. And God says, oh, finally, when we get the script ready to be produced, God says, okay, here you go. Pick a body. Mm. Pick your parents. Mm. Which ones do you want? <laughs> My kids are always like, I did not pick you. And I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what if we picked everything? And then we landed here. And we forgot that we were the authors. Yeah, I, I feel like that's what we do. Yeah, forgetting. I forgot that I scripted it. Uh-huh. And then I hired you to play this role. Uh-huh. What, if, what if that was it? And now the, the process of living life is to learn the lessons and also remember, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm the author here. Mm. I'm, and that co-cre- I I'm co-creating. However, exactly. I, how, what is my part in this co-creation? And and I actually wrote in the script, I'm turning right here. Well, I could turn left. I could rewrite the script as I go. Because there are no wrong directions, I don't think. Yeah. No matter what choices. And, that, you know, I, I feel like so many people struggle with that because, because people say, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, um, you know, that was a mistake. That was a bad choice. That was a whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah. And it's like you continue to beat yourself up over what already happened. Right. <laughs> you can't you can't change the past. You can only yeah. say what did I learn from that experience that got me to this place because even in the midst of your messes and bad choices and wrong turns, it's like that created who I am in this moment. Yeah. And so how can any of it be wrong? Yeah. How can I enjoy this moment, the one that looks like suffering? What if this was bliss? This bliss. moment. Bliss. What if this was bliss? The one, the moment where I'm like, <laughs> what if that was bliss? Oof. That hit right there, Steve. Because that's, I was talking to somebody yesterday about the non-judgment and the oneness Mm. The oneness, like we, we live our life in black and white and duality, good, bad, right, wrong. And it's like, what if, what if this is all bliss? Yeah. And I just have a filter that says, no, it's not. It should be different. It should be different. But if I was only taller. <laughs> that's the, that's the resistance, right? That's yeah. the being stuck 
And that suppression of what oh. is that leads to the disconnection or the diseases, you know, that shoulder that you've worked on four times and you're like, that should go away. And you're still like, I don't know why it's not happening. Yeah. And it's really interesting because from time to time, I wonder, um, you know, there are things that people do to each other that is really harmful. Mm. And if I take full responsibility, uh, you, you were talking about uh, being victimized. And I think there's a difference between being victimized and being a victim. Right. So there are definitely things that people do to each other that are harmful, that don't work in this world. And I know there's a lot of conversation about there about, you know, different marginalized groups experiencing that and that it's not to say that um that's okay and we should just let it run its course no we should actually live lives to ensure that people are given it the nurturance and what they need to survive and and thrive so i'm not dismissing things that do people do to each other but at the same time if i take on that i'm 100 percent responsible for my experience then I can keep looking at, oh, how can I learn from this? I'm not a victim. Right. I may have been victimized by certain things that happened to me. Right. But I don't have to carry that like a bag of sorrows, right. you know, hanging over my shoulders. And yeah, it's like really heavy to drag that shit with you. <laughs> and then what do I do with you and, and other people? It's like I reach into my bag and say, well, look what happened to me. Uh-huh. Isn't this horrible? And then I get your agreement. And then we commiserate and then you take out one of your sorrows and, you, and, and oh, rather than, oh, look what happened and look what I learned. Yeah. This was such a great lesson. I didn't like it when I was going through it, but it was such right. a great lesson. But how do you do that in the moment of that pain and heartache? Yeah. I think it takes practice like anything else. I don't think those things are ever going to stop happening. It's just like, how quickly can I get from ouch? to hmm where's the learning here <laughs> what did gina say yesterday from yuck to yum yeah <laughs> oh may not it may not ever be a yum right but i can actually bring my curiosity to the to the yeah. experience yeah i i talked to um a guy who's a coach um here in austin mm. and he said he's done psychedelics and he also said you know what, Don? Even though I did that stuff, when I do breath work, I get to that same space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever done breath work? I have. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I definitely know that accessing that <laughs> euphoric state is really powerful, regardless of what the vehicle is. Mm-hmm. Some people, you know, they talk about the runner's high. Mm-hmm. So they run and they feel that euphoric sense. Yeah. Well, you can get it from exercise and yoga and breath right. work. Right, and how people does are doing cold people doing cold oh. plunges nowadays? Ah, I don't. I'm not quite on board with that yet. No, I'm like <laughs> I don't like cold anyway, so I'm like <laughs> unless it's 104 outside, then okay, <laughs> that's not so bad. But so so I'm I'm wondering <clears throat> because part of your work is also the sexuality part. Yeah, and so how does all of this? connecting to your body, being curious, um, being aware of what's going on for you, bearing witness. How does all this correlate with sexuality? And I, mm. I asked that question because 
my own opinion and perspective, I always say, you know, a lot of times we're totally suppressed about sex or repressed mm-hmm. about sex because we don't talk about it. We don't, uh, we're not really open and honest and transparent because there is a lot of judgment and shame, et cetera. But we only actually spend, you know, a very small percentage of our entire life actually doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so why are there so many issues around it? <laughs> you know, can't yeah. that just be part of, so I'm just trying to weave this into the conversation from your somatic perspective, because yeah. you do the body work and the, and the emotional work and the sexual work. So can you share? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I, I really took it on for myself because I wanted to see what the area, next area of growth was for me. And what I was noticing as I worked more with people and what they were holding in their bodies is I felt like it was shame. Mm-hmm. And I started to look at, well, where do we have the most shame? And I, I really think that the two biggest areas are sex and money. Yeah. You know, we have very little facility talking about sex and money. And uh, so I really took that on for myself. And I got trained initially as a sex and relationships coach and started having lots and lots of conversations around sexuality and, and being curious about it. And I think a lot of it is that we just feel like we can't talk about it. And when people would talk about shame, I was like, I have a concept of what shame is, but I don't quite know. It's like, I had this idea of what shame was like from Hollywood's perspective. Like if you saw, I call it Hollywood shame. Like if you saw an actor or an actress embarrassed or ashamed, they were like, oh, oh. you know, it's like you yeah. could see how they were performing. Oh, performing. Shame. Yeah. As opposed to actually experiencing it. Yeah. So I started looking, well, what is shame? I know I have shame, but what is it? What is it? So I really began looking at what is the somatic expression? How did you know you had it? I assumed that I must have shame. Okay. I'll just say that until, (laughs) until I actually found what I said, I need to find a working definition of what it is so that it really feels, you know, because I was having, I was doing these trainings. People were talking about shame, shame, shame. I was like, I just don't get it somatically. So I came up with a definition for myself is shame is the impulse to hide. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know that anybody agrees with that or that's not in the dictionary or whatever. No, I think that's actually a great yeah. definition. It, it's, it become, it, it, it's the experience that comes before embarrassment. So, so I feel shame and I want to turn away. I want to hide. I want to. So how I felt it in my body. And once I got that, I'm like, okay, yeah, now I can see shame everywhere in my life Uh where I don't want someone to know this about me. Or I want to hide over here. Or I omit certain things in conversations. Or I promote only the good stuff. I just kind of hope nobody notices this stuff. So it's that's related to. The abandonment, the rejection, the loneliness, the disconnect. I mean, they're all related. Yeah. All those things from my childhood on up to now that, you know, if I only, if I was only this instead of this. So when I got that, I really became something that I could feel in my body and I could catch myself right away. And it really gave me a tremendous amount of a facility to work with people and just be playful with it. Where did you feel? Where did you feel it in your body first? Um, probably my lower ab- abdomen first, my uh-huh. chest, and then my genitals. I could feel 
shame with this impulse for sure up in my chest and this wanting like, to turn away. Yeah. Okay. Like withdraw and constrict. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, for sure. And um, it suddenly became more malleable. It became something I could be curious about. So rather than turning and shrinking back, I could lean in a little bit and go, hmm, tell me about this. Let me be curious about this. What does this remind me of? I could t- attach it to, oh, yeah, now I see where that started. Look mm. back and, and see, oh, yeah, I remember that when I was a child. Mm. And I could see the patterns that we do with others. Oops. Sorry about that. Okay. I thought I turned everything off. <laughs> That's all right. This is live. I, I got a phone call from my mom yesterday during the podcast. I was like, oops, sorry, mom. <laughs> right in the middle of talking about sex, right? <laughs> okay. That's okay. Right. So, podcast so, interruptus. <laughs> exactly. We'll have a whole new uh, in the dictionaries. <laughs> so, when I became more curious, it gave me some more freedom to allow others to be more curious. Like I mm. shared earlier, once I get something, I want to give it away. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I could have a lot more freedom. And I think it allowed other people to just share with me the things that they were afraid anybody would know about them. Mm. And as I became more and more free with my own shame, I began to notice that people have always told me things. They've always said things. I remember from my childhood, people saying, wow, I've never told anybody that before. Yeah. I get that all the time. Yeah. And uh, it's called safe place. Exactly. Yeah. People felt safe. Like I wasn't going to, you know, I was just going to, Listen and not do anything with it and not judge. Yeah. Friends, adults, you know, and then on up through my life, people just felt at ease and they could just say whatever they needed to say. Yeah. And uh, reminds me when I, one of my trainings, the teacher was saying, uh, you know, your, your clients need you more than they need your techniques. Yeah. They need you. And, and, you know, we were talking a lot about the nervous system that, that the more work we do to be at ease and be down regulated and at ease within ourselves, right. the more available we are for others to be with themselves. Right. So that I'm not reflecting you back to you. So you have some insight. No, I'm just being with you. So you could be with yourself. Yeah. And that's been a gift. You know, it's, I come off my calls. A lot of times when I'm doing sessions, someone will be saying things and I'll write things down. I don't want to interrupt them, but I want to ask a question. So I have all these questions or thoughts that I write down. And sometimes I get to them. Sometimes I don't. Yeah. Um, but I always go back and reread my notes and I go, Oh, that one's for me. Oh, that's for me too. Oh, that's for me. Oh, this whole page is for me. <laughs> yeah. I think I said to you when we were talking yesterday, it's like, I speak the things that I most need to hear. Exactly. And they and I get paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> Every once in a while. Actually, in fact, my therapist told me this. She uh she's 90 years old. Many years. She's incredibly wise and, and sweet. And wise. she uh at the end of the session often says, Thank you so much. This was such a great session. You still have to pay me though. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, well, okay. <laughs> incredibly wise so how so how do we step out of shame and into acceptance Mm. well i think chris is noticing the shame like oh that shame 
Hello, old friend. What lessons have you brought with you this time? Mm-hmm. I remember when I had that thought. I wrote that was, I think that was one note I wrote to myself once. Like, hello, old friend. Here you are again. Shame. Mm-hmm. Rather than no shame. I was like, oh, here you are once again. This is familiar. What new lessons have you brought with you this time? But I thought I learned that lesson before. I know. <laughs> That's the resistance arguing. <laughs> I thought I went through this already, damn it. It's like, what is it? The the spray can of Ray that eradicated, kill the ants. You know, those commercials where he sprayed, you know, the shame goes scattering away, never to return. No, no, it's always there. It's a teacher. Shame is a great teacher. Wonderful teacher. If I could just let it be and, and, you know, stop, no, stop resisting. It's like, oh, hello. Mm. How quickly can I get from, ouch, no, I don't want to be ashamed. I want to hide mm-hmm. to, okay, here we go again. Here's another opportunity to grow and learn. And it looks very familiar. <laughs> this lesson looks very familiar. I learned this much, but, oh, there's this much more to learn about that this time. It's these, la- <clears throat> these layers of ourselves that we continually peel away yeah. to to learn, just to learn, to learn more about ourselves, because, you know, I mean, and Jess, like, yeah, I thought I learned that thing, but obviously there's another nuance to it. It's just like, if you've ever read a book more than once, you get something different out of the same yeah. book because of wherever you're in a different space. Right. And so I feel like all of these lessons are the same thing. It's like, we're so multi-dimensional and multifaceted. It's like there's not just, you know, two sides. It's not polarity. It's not this or that. It's like, okay, what are the nuances of this particular lesson or this particular way that I'm being yeah. challenged? Like, am I am I not accepting myself? Am I judging myself? Am I, you know, carting all of this stuff? Still yeah. with me, as opposed to, oh, isn't this fascinating? Yeah, and delicious. Mm. Even when it looks like ugh. bliss. <laughs> yeah, oh, this is bliss. <laughs> this is bliss. I don't really like this perspective. <laughs> this version of bliss. Who, who designed this one? <laughs> oh my gosh! So, how do you do this in partnership? Mm. How do you do this in partnership? You know, it's really interesting because... Or uh, friendship or, you know, whatever relationship. Well, I think having a willing partner is the first piece. You know, somebody that wants to dive in and learn with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, we have a fantasy of what relationships should be and that they're all about, you know, holding hands and walking on the beach and the sunset, which is wonderful. Well, that too. Yeah. I'm not dismissing that at all. I love that. Yeah. But... How, how can we learn to love when it doesn't show up in a nice package and with a bow on it? Mm. You know, I think uh, one of my uh, best learnings about love was when I fell in love with someone. This was several years ago. So I was already, how old was I? I was 40, 49, something like that. I was already well into my adult life. And I fell in love with someone who didn't feel the same way. Mm. And I, I knew I had a choice. I could withdraw, mm-hmm. you know, take my toys and go play with somebody else. 
or I could stay in the relationship and learn to love them. Mm. Even if you weren't getting the response that you wanted. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it was actually a choice. It was an experience. Like I signed up here to learn about love. Mm. We happened to be doing a workshop together and we were partners from one month to the next. And, you know, I wanted to have this experiment where we got to experience being in love and she didn't feel the same way. Mm. And we had some exciting moments and some passion and some playfulness, but she didn't meet me the way I wanted to be met. And that's the point where people usually bail out. I'm out of here. Screw you. Transactional. Was, Transactional. Yeah. But it was actually an opportunity for me to lean in and learn about love anyways, even though she didn't show up the way I wanted her to. And I kept bringing myself back to, okay, well, there's something to learn here. And I got to be heartbroken about it. Mm. I don't... uh I don't recommend it to sign up for that. <laughs> but if you're heartbroken, be heartbroken. Yeah. You know, don't go out seeking heartbreak. But if you're heartbroken, be heartbroken because it's telling you that your heart is working. Yeah. You're learning to love. You're Deeper. Learning to- Deeper. Yeah. And it hurts. There's no joke about it. I've done a little bit of research. There's actually even a, a physical experience that they call a, I forgot what the, Takatsubo cardiomyopathy is what they call it. Okay. Where, where it's, it's actually a condition where part of the heart swells. Wow. It mimics a heart attack. Wow, really? Yeah. And it doesn't wow. have associated symptoms of, you know, congestive heart failure or, um, you know, blockages in the arteries. It doesn't have those same associated symptoms that actually they do consider a heart attack where that there's damage to the heart because of limited blood flow. But uh-huh. the sensate the sensate experience is similar. Wow. And it's all emotional. Not all of it, but it's somatic. It's that interplay between the emotional right. experience that you're going through and the physicality of it. Right. The somatic experience of it. And I was fascinated by that. And, um, yeah, I could recognize that when your heart is swelling, when your heart hurts, there's some growth available there. Mm. Science doesn't really look too much in that, you know, and it's fascinating. So I learned so much about love and being loving by having my heart broke, broken, mm. you know, and it wasn't somebody doing it to me. I actually, and, and here's something that willingly. Yeah, here's something I've learned more recently that I'm still learning is how we project our desire and wants, wishes, hopes, dreams onto another, and it stops us from really seeing who they are mm-hmm. and choosing people who might be some fantasy, whereas they're not, you know, they're not meeting us the way we want to be met. Mm-hmm. And that can hurt too. Well, I, I, um, one of my first like mentors in this field, Leo Buscalia, do you know who he is? Yeah. I read it when I was in high school. Yeah. I adore him. Do you know him personally? No, but I just consumed him. Like I couldn't get enough. I found, I discovered him after my major heartbreak. (laughs) Right. And it was like, okay, what did I need to learn? And, um, and he said to the depths, of your heart ache, 
and pain and suffering to the, to the degree of depth of that mm. is also the equal and opposite degree of the love and joy and connection that you feel. So if yeah. you live your life on this plane, you will never experience the highs. Yeah. You will never experience the bliss because that's what I feel like. That's the bliss. Yeah. So in the depths of my despair <laughs> and heartache, it was like, I'm fucking feeling all of this. Yeah. yeah. Because I want to experience the heights. I want mm-hmm. to experience the love and the connection and to, and to feel the heartache is to know that you can feel. Yeah. <laughs> to know that, oh my God, I'm alive. I'm really alive. Not just coasting along, you yeah. know, status quo. It's like, eh, eh, everything's okay. It's like, I, I don't want to live my life like that. Yeah, well, narrow a narrow lane of experience. You know, mm-hmm. I want to expand and expand and expand my capacity to feel more and more and more. But what comes with that is feeling heartache and love and hurt and pain. And there's there there is no guarantee in any of it. Yeah, and I think that so many times when people get hurt, they shut down as a way to you know to as a way to protect themselves. So they close off their heart. Yeah. And they say, well, I, I don't trust. I don't feel safe. You know, I'm not going to put myself out there. It's too risky. I'll get hurt again. But then you live this life in the middle yeah. as opposed to, you know what? I have been hurt. I've been hurt really badly. And yet I still have a sense of hope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I still, and you know, maybe I live through rose colored glasses, which I know I do, mm-hmm. but I still have, I still have this hope of what's possible. Yeah. So I would rather, you know, be, well, you're not living in reality. Well, maybe that's why I don't watch the news. I don't want to live in mm-hmm. live in that reality. Yeah. I want to live in this felt experience, whether it is the, the, the despair and the heartache mm-hmm. or the heights, the joy, the love, the bliss. Mm. I think in, in as, as as fragile as we are, we are also incredibly resilient. And we can allow ourselves to experience both. Yeah. What you were saying about Leo Viscaglia and what he was saying. And then it reminded me of a quote of Golda Meir who said, um, those who cannot weep with their whole heart cannot experience joy either. Mm, that's and beautiful. It's like we, you know, we got to expand in every direction. And instead of judging any of it, hmm, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Which is what I, which is what I really appreciate about you, Steve, because every time I have heard you speak, you have that observer perspective. You're like, yeah. wait a second. I see things a little differently. Let's, <laughs> you know, let's chat about that. Yeah. So it's I, really, I, I think in the realm of, uh, we, we touched on this earlier, a lot of coaches and therapists, their perspective is how can we minimize the pain the and pain. suffering Yeah, rather than shoving someone into the fire, <laughs> you know, kind of jump in, make some mistakes, yeah. risk it, but also knowing when that's possible for someone. Like, do oh, yeah, they have yeah. the resources? 
And it has to be in a container, a safe container where they feel safe to fall apart. Yeah. You know, but to, but to recognize that no matter when you fall apart, I mean, even, even in the case of grief where you lose somebody that you loved in your life, Mm. you can feel really, really devastated and sad and crying. And then you can also have a moment a few months, a few minutes later, you know, the next day where you're laughing and you can experience some joy. Yeah. And that does not dishonor that sadness or grief in any way. It's just, it's just like, I don't have to, I don't have to hold on to that as this badge of, well, you know, I'm proving that I'm grieving and I'm not, I'm not talking, you know, psychologically or emotionally. I'm just saying to the outside world, it's like, if I laugh, maybe people will think that I'm not really grieving. Whereas, Mm -hmm. yes, I am really grieving. And I can also experience this joy. It's, it's again, that polarity. It's like, it doesn't have to be either or it's it's recognizing that we're all, all the time. We could be doing this Mm -hmm. and it's all okay. Cause it's all part of our humanity. For sure. I, I, you remind me of a time when I was really writing about happiness and it happened to be a time when I was, really suffering about something probably some other woman i'm sure some relationship i was <laughs> suffering about and the romantic yeah of course uh, if, if it wasn't for unrequited love i wouldn't have a love life <laughs> <laughs> um so i remember i was talking with someone and i was in the depths of something and this is so how are you doing and i i realized in that moment that i was happy and i was like Wow, how is that possible? I mean, it was like this moment where I was like in the paradox. Midst, so I was about to launch into this story <clears throat> yeah. about, about this thing I was dealing with with this friend. But in that moment, I realized I was happy and I really realized, ah, and I started to see what happiness might be. Mm. That happiness doesn't have to be the absence of struggle and challenges and suffering. But I, I actually have a choice. Yeah. And I, and in that moment started to see happiness from a different perspective. Yeah. That you can choose how you show up in yeah. any given moment. Yeah. That was, that was a lesson that I learned when I had kids, you know, mm-hmm. cause I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I'm juggling all this stuff. And every morning, no matter how I was feeling, mm. I would say, good morning, sweetheart. How are you? You know, that I just wanted to be that sense of peace and comfort and love, mama love. Mm-hmm. And it was this awareness, like, I feel like crap, and yet I'm still showing up mm. in this way because I'm making this choice. Mm. That's awesome. Mm. Parenthood is uh, one of the greatest challenges. And parenting ourselves. Yeah. Which is what this really is. Yeah, we'll be doing that till we die. <laughs> it's like we have all of these, you know, ages and stages of ourselves within ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And things come out. And if you can become that observer mm. and notice all of the things that's, that are going on experientially for you in your body, in your heart, in your mind. Mm. It's like it's the, 
you become present to your own self, mm. which of course is a gift. Yeah. Yeah. I'm noticing, and I'm curious in your practice with clients, um, for me, there was a period of time where something shifted for me when I would have a session for myself, where I really got clear that I was the one who created the experience of, of my session with my therapist. And, and mm-hmm. prior to that, it was kind of like, please wave your magic wand, you know, right. please do, please do me, Always you know, <laughs> exactly. And I realized <laughs> it's up to me here. Yeah. And I noticed that, um, you know, the emotional labor of being a practitioner uh, can be a burden sometimes. And uh, there's usually a point in the session where I'll say, how can I support you? Rather than trying to pull things out of them, I just let them come, you know, come up with what it is that they want to focus on. Yeah. I'm wondering if there's something for you that you found working with clients, if that's something that. Uh, yeah, I, I usually say, how can I how can I be most helpful in this mm-hmm. moment? Yeah. You know, if it's, if it's, you know, I, I can hold you, <laughs> I can hold space for you. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> or if you want me to ask you questions to help you dig deeper, um, mm-hmm. because I, I think that's the misconception of therapy, counseling and coaching. If you're a good practitioner is that you are there to help the client peel back those layers so that they have more of an awareness of who they are and how they've come through or how they, you know, are growing and becoming stronger and more resilient or, or being more open or loving themselves more or whatever, whatever is the situation. That's like, that's why I said, I, I always feel really honored to bear witness to their experience. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Of that term, witnessing. It's a beautiful gift. It's yeah. a beautiful gift. Mm. So you're you're amazing, Steve. Like I could oh. talk to you for hours. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. So great to be with you. So the last question that I ask um, my guests is because this podcast is called Wake Up to Real Love. Mm. How do you define real love? Mm. Oh, it's just a small little question. Yeah, (laughs) I I know that uh, I've been exploring this experience of self-love and how what a cliche that is and how we're like, oh, self-love. But there's something about I'll I'll share with you some something recently. One of my clients was talking to me about jealousy. Mm. And I was like, oh, say more about that. And he's talking about some experiences in their life. And they were talking about some things that were happening with people around them and how they felt jealous. And I was like, I know that guy. I've been that guy. I I know that guy. I've been that guy. What what really landed for me in that moment was the absence of that. Mm. Because I had been looking at life when I'm in that mode of if I only had this or life would be better if it was this way, or if I was only this way, then life would be better. Mm. You know, so that was kind of at the heart of my jealousy. And what I realized in that moment is in the absence of that echoing through my own thoughts, I really saw that I love my life Mm. and I love the whole of my life kind of similar to the, 
intertwined themes we've been talking about today, I don't just love parts of it. Right. And then this part over here, I'm tolerating. That part over there, yeah, it's hard. I don't love it, but I love it. But I love the whole of my life. I, I, it is a privilege to love to have my life and to be me. And, and with that, being able to share that is an act of love. Mm. Wanting to share that and wanting others to have that and to give that away. I think that, so when, when you ask your question, I think when I think of love, it is, it is about sharing the love that I have for life with others mm. without expectation, without needing something back and knowing that I do want something back. Right. You know, a lot of times in our rooms, people talk about unconditional love. And I'm like, well, is there some other kind? <laughs> you know, maybe this conditional. I'm only going to love you when you do X, Y, Z for me. Yeah, maybe that's not love. That's right. judgment or right. expectation. Right. That maybe there is only unconditional love. Maybe that's the only love that there is. And everything else that's dressed up as love, that's not love. Mm. Maybe it's something else. Love doesn't need a qualifier. Yeah. So, and I, and, I, lo- and love, I think when you were talking about it, it's like comes from a place of wholeness. Yeah. Not from a place of emptiness. Yeah. One of my teachers said, you, you can't love anything you need. Mm. And I was like, eh, I'm getting that more and more. Yeah. I need something from you. Then that's not love. Right. That's transactional. That's right wanting this needing right <laughs> mm. well i have loved this conversation so have i thank <laughs> you it's been a pleasure to so, explore together yeah i we mean forgot we were recording so i, I know that, i i hope that it's a gift to others as yeah. it was a gift to me good so how can people get in touch with you or find out more about you and your work yeah, well, I am terrible with social media. The, so the best way to reach me is just to email me directly. And one of the things I always do is I do a free Zoom consult. Um, it gives people a chance to connect. And I know it's a very personal choice. Uh, if after watching me for an hour, you don't know if I'm a good match. Well, we can still talk. <laughs> we can still I was talk. like, um, I'm pretty sure they know. Yeah. So, yeah, and I think that's that's really what it takes to get started with a good therapist or counselor or someone is you just have that sense. Okay, I can I can be myself with this person. Right. So I always invite people to hop on Zoom with me for, for 15, 20 minutes. Um, the best way is to reach me at my email, which is my first name, Steve, at theremedyonline.com. So it's Steve at theremedyonline.com. And do you, do you post that somewhere or something? I or? Yeah, I post awesome. it in the show notes. Yeah. So yeah. feel free to message me and I'll be happy to set up a time. I love supporting people. Yeah. To work with this beautiful soul would be a gift in your life. <laughs> yeah. So for all of you people listening, um, I hope that you were inspired. I, I was inspired. I'm always inspired by these conversations, but I, you know, I have loved you from the first time that I heard you speak and I just connected and resonate with you. So mm-hmm. this is why I love having these conversations. Oh, um, so, here. yeah. So, so 
subscribe to the Wake Up to Real Love podcast, share with your friends, give a five-star review. Uh, yeah, pass, pass this around because I feel like we don't get this education mm-hmm. growing up. It's like we're trying to figure it out as we go. And so to share this wisdom to me is a beautiful gift. Mm-hmm. And of course, my mission to just share more wisdom and more light uh, and love in the world, uh, which is what you do because you have a huge heart. So for me, um, to work with me, you can contact me on all the social media platforms um, at either Dawn Richard uh, or The Awakening with Dawn. And I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, mm. blah, blah, blah. You're way um, better than me with the social media stuff. I, I don't know about that. But anyways, and you can always send me a message and my website under construction, la, la, mm. la, la. But um, the the... The mantra of this podcast or the message of this podcast is really the most important relationship you'll ever have is the one you have with yourself Mm. because everything else flows from that, Mm. you know, so, so when you become that observer and when you come to this place of acceptance and love for all parts of your life, Mm. that's bliss. That's love. Yeah. It just creates an amazing, beautiful, whole foundation, mm. you know, from a place of wholeness where you can connect and create these beautiful uh, relationships mm. and experiences in life. So thank you so much <clears throat> for being here, Steve. You are yeah. truly a gift. My pleasure. What a privilege to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. So listeners, until next time, every day, wake up to more and more real love. Take care, everybody. Bye. Subscribe to the Wake Up to Real Love podcast. Leave five-star reviews. And of course, share with your friends. You can find Dawn on various social media platforms at Dawn Richard or at The Awakening with Dawn.